Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Man, if you believe, hallelujah. Now, I want to share something with you now. Um... I already had something planned, so this is the tad bit impromptu, even though, you know, the introduction is still very much in line with what I wanted to share. I want to talk about growing in love. We did part one about two weeks ago. Were you blessed by that? Uh, go with me, First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, a text we all know, you know, I learned this text in a very embarrassing way, it was Pastor Tolu Michaels. Uh, I forgive you, dear. This is the first time I'm saying it. So she invited me to her fellowship, you know, years ago. This, I mean, when I say years ago, I'm talking about 2010. And I know a lot of texts, but in their fellowship, this particular text, they made them read it offhand. And of all the texts in the Bible, I, 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 I didn't know this one, you know. So at the end of the service, everybody started chanting. <laughs> And then guest speaker, you know, was chewing. So I hate to be embarrassed, you know. So I went to go and devour the text, you know, after that day. And um, not just to regurgitate, it's so powerful and so resounding. Chapter 4, verse 7, 1 John. Are you there? It says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. Now, that's powerful. Love is consistent with God. You don't, you don't see anything but love from God. He's not the reason your cousin fell sick and died. He didn't take your mom from you. Love is of God. And that's, that's a conversation for another day. You know, three years ago, I think three reboot camps ago, this line of thought was, you know, the anchor text throughout. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. You know, it's, it's a powerful revelation to have. And there are a thousand and one questions about, you know, the goodness of God. All of them can be defended. If you have a good teacher, amen. But fundamentally, this is something you just need to believe. Love is of God. Can you all chorus that one to go? And now, this is the part that should hit you. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Listen, you can't be such a church boy and church girl that you don't know this. We are constantly under pressure to prove a point. You know, has it ever happened to you that someone said something to you particularly in secondary school, and you were naturally going to let it go. But your friends started saying, mm? me, I will never take, hey, he just abused your entire family, your entire generation. I, I, you know that thing people do? And sometimes we respond because we feel we have an impression to protect amongst people who don't even love God. Says everyone who loves is born of God. He says, He who does not love 
does not know God. <laughs> Everybody read verse 8 together. One, two, go. See, maybe KJV is not allowing it to sink well because, I mean, the language is sounding foreign. NKJV simply says, he who does not love does not know God. I don't really care how many Greek words you know. I don't really care if you've been to Bible school or not. I don't really care. I used, listen, this is the word of God. This is an acid test, a litmus test. They will know you by your love. It says God is love. And you are born of God. And God will only produce after his kind. They must know you by your love. And listen, we can get so carried away with Martha ministry, you know, the administrative demands of church, or even just merely coming to church regularly, that we forget this. You know, I said it weeks ago, love is the hardest thing to teach. I've seen it time and again, how you can finish from a camp meeting, one week camp meeting, and people fight in a car park on their way out. Because somehow, We have multitasked to the extent that we have created different facets of our lives. So we have a church side. And then we still know how to show people crazy. And you know what? We think it's cool. We think it's fashionable. Sometimes we brag about it. We even say, forget church, I was treating you up real quick. And, and many times, it feels like some people really deserve it. Hallelujah. There's another extreme I would teach some other time. You see, love doesn't make you a CC. It doesn't make you, listen, you, you, you can feel free to be bold to tell someone when they're wrong. You just don't need to throw fists, you know. Just see you with all your anointing, dodging blow in the airport, you know. <laughs> you know, dodging blow, you are dodging in the fuel station. <laughs> that one, that one, it's like, I just, that one was a prophetic word, have you? Prophetic. <laughs> he who does not Love does not know God, for God is love. Hallelujah. And verse 17. You know, this is one of the many texts we use regularly in the church, and we never bothered to understand the true context. Never really bothered. Somehow it's always as if we already have a conviction, then we find texts, you know, to justify those convictions. We don't really go to the word to, to discover the opinion of the word. We go to the Bible to defend doctrine, not to obtain doctrine. Because how, how can you miss this? 
flow of thoughts. He says, love has been perfected amongst us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Listen, I know I have taught eternal security and perseverance of the saints, but if what you just read is anything to go by, if you have no love work, be afraid. Don't keep saying I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you are truly saved, it will show in your love. And he says, your love is part of your assurance. He says that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because what? Come on, read the next part. Loud as you can want to go. Because what? As he is, so are we in this world. You know, this is the text I'm talking about. And we always read it from the charismatic part. Jesus heals so I can heal. As he is, so are we. As he is, I can, you know, I can walk miracles. I can move mountains. As he is, so are we. But he was talking about love. He told you earlier, God is love. And so in that context, flow of thought, he is love, so we are love. As he is, so are we in this world. So they will know us by our love. Because we are children of love. Born to love. Born of love. As he is. Imagine if you embrace this text. As you did when you thought it was talking about working of miracles. As he is. Do you know what that means? Oh my God. For you to embrace this you have to throw out of the window some secular ideas. Listen, and this is what God wants to achieve in us. You can be a secular Christian. You know, you're going to church, but you have embraced worldly ideas. And so you're, you're, you're tongue speaking, but you know how to give it to people. You know, I've told you, I give this story time and again because I can never get over it. You know how there was a particular crusade and, you know, the main bowl was full. And so the ushers were trying to get people to stay in the overflow. But, you know, this general idea that if I'm not close to the man of God, God's power cannot hit me. So this guy was determined to go in and the ushers kept saying, no space, no space. So he just gave the usher a blow, bounce, and ran inside and joined the worship. You know, just <laughs> lifted up holy hands and ran, you know. And let me tell you something. We laugh, but it's what we do. There's some of you now. <laughs> Listen, this is, the word of God must strip us bare. All right? It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder. It must expose you. It's a discerner of thoughts and of the intents of hearts. You know, listen, this is how to know you are growing when the word of God can strip you bare and correct you. It's very powerful. I'm talking about legitimate reasons. So I know what your ex did was wrong. But you, you just haven't moved on. Do you know how contradictory it is for a believer to hold someone in contempt? You know, just constantly there's someone in your heart you don't wish well. 
there are some things, and sometimes we wonder why, you know, the power of God doesn't really work in us as it should. Because there are some things we have kept in our hearts, you know, as a contradiction. The anointing only works for the free. Are you listening to me? Free yourself as he is. So are we in this world. Now go with me quickly, Philippians 1.9. You know, the anchor text of this series. Philippians 1.9. It says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. Kai, oh God. You know, I know KJV says that your love may abound more and more. NLT says overflow more and more. So listen, my love can grow. Greek word perisio. It means over and above. It means to superabound. It means to be superfluous and plenteous. It means to excel. So I can be excellent in love. As I'm excellent in knowledge. As I'm excellent in speaking of tongues. You speak, you speak Russian tongues. Or Chinese tongues. It's because of your tongues people think it has to be some human language somewhere. Because your tongues are consonants. No, no single vowels. You know. You know. And you are bounding in all these areas. Do you realize it's possible? You are growing in all these areas. Listen, this has been the image of the church for so long. We know what everybody is doing wrong. Do you know even in correcting, there is a way to correct? I'm coming to that. I'm coming to that. Do you know that we know you are teaching the truth when people can still see the vulnerability in your own life, that you're standing solely on the grace of God? You know, that's what makes the message powerful to change others. Where Paul can say, hmm, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. God came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So meaning, I, I, I don't do pass you. And so if God could save me, he can save you. So if I'm telling you that what you are doing is wrong, it's not because I think I'm better than you, but that there is a grace available. Are you getting what I'm saying? There is a way to teach. There's a way to teach. But you can weaponize the truth To exert your superiority on others. If we have enough time, we'll come to that. Hallelujah. First Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give an answer to those who ask the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. There must be a humility about it. We are giving apologetics. We are giving a reply, but with meekness. Are, are you getting this? Have you seen that in your Bible before? So now, this is a sandwich approach. Before I begin to tell people how much of the Bible I know, it comes from a place of sanctification. I have hallowed God in my heart. I fear God. And then it is through that mindset that I am ready to give an answer. To those, so listen, listen, listen. This is the antidote for the tendency of knowledge to puff up. I'm coming from a place of sanctification. I've hallowed God in my heart. And it is through that mentality 
that I can give a defense. And even then, with meekness and fear, with humility. With humility. Praise the Lord. So even when you're preaching to people, you are not pretending as if God has not saved you from many things. You, you, don't, you don't have to be a hypocrite. I've seen this time and again. It's almost as if the loudest voices are guilty or will soon be guilty of the things that they openly and repeatedly rebuke. Have you, maybe you've not noticed that. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. And I said weeks ago, this is beautiful, that I can be growing in love and knowledge at the same time. (laughs) In the body of Christ, it's almost as if you have to jettison one to prosper in the other. But, you know, my love is overflowing more and more and I'm growing in knowledge and understanding. That's God's will. It's possible. It's possible. I've seen so many people, it's as if they became bad Christians when they knew the Bible more. I've seen it time and again. And it's strange. Any knowledge that does not increase your worship, that does not increase your humility, that does not increase your consecration, ah, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. This God thing. Like someone told another, another so-called believer, he said, I prefer you when you were in the world. Because you, you, now you're so unkind. Of course, that's an extreme statement, but you know, I don't want to ask if you've seen something. You know. Hallelujah. He says, let your love grow. God wants your love to grow. Please nudge the person by yourself gently. Say, let your love grow. Listen, and this is something discernible. The anchor text of this entire ministry, Philippians 1.25, right? Talking about progress and joy in the faith. That you're not just coming to church for the sake of it. You can measure growth. And now the emphasis of this growth for this teaching series is love. And it takes a lot of honesty. Today I'm going to mention something. You know what the Lord is teaching me? I must never assume that when I teach in a generic manner, people can apply it to specific aspects of their life. And so it's one thing to say, forgive. But people don't really understand context. So when Jesus says, if you come to offer your sacrifice, now that's context, and you remember that someone has ought against you, what did he say you should do? Drop it. So meaning, stop playing church. So now, when it comes to love, you, you, listen, you, you have to be honest and say, Lord, this year I want to grow. I want to find it easier to forgive. See, I'm a church boy, I'm a church girl, but this forgiveness matter, I struggle. You, you need that kind of vulnerability with God. That there are people in the prisons of my heart, life imprisonment, men, some of them, I've sentenced them. 
10 years, 15 years, 20 years without parole. And I'm still coming to church, speaking in tongues. God, you know what? I want you to touch me. See, Lord, I have a very serious issue with jealousy. There are some of my close friends I'm jealous of. They don't know it yet because it's still inside. But God, you and I know how I felt when my friend bought that car. When my friend got that job, that contract, that, that award, you know, I'm ashamed of it. I, I, I want to stop it. So, listen, I, I want to measure this. I'm tired of being a hot Christian, supposedly, that cannot keep any meaningful relationship. I know I keep saying that all, all of them have problems, but they can't all be wrong. Every friend that I have, after three months, will fight. It must be me. Lord, I'm honest. Okay. You know, <laughs> at some point, you have to admit. You have to admit. You have to admit. And stop looking for quotable quotes on disloyalty, you know, no loyalty on the streets, you know, and funny hashtags. Listen, you've, you've not been able to keep... 50 friends, you have fallen out with all of them in the past two years. It must be you, sir. Get a mirror or clean the one you have and just focus on what... Listen, they may have their own faults, but to grow, don't use their faults as an excuse. Do you understand what I'm saying? Face your own. It must be an opportunity for you to be better. Talk to yourself. Admit all these things. Admit all these things. Admit. I want my love to grow. I want my love to grow. I can do better. Lord, I know I can do better. I know driving in Lagos is hard. <laughs> See, let me tell you, it doesn't matter how you know anointed the service is. And you came out to receive the Holy Ghost. There's a simple way to test it. Just drive in Lagos. If you have Holy Ghost, you will know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you have Holy Ghost, you Years ago, one of my neighbors was parked in front of my gate. You have to understand. In front, no, his engine was on. And he was doing, I think he was receiving a phone call. So now, I wanted to go in, and I was honking. So he wound down like, ah, can't you see I'm on a call? <laughs> True life story. <laughs> True life story. So, <laughs> so he wanted me to wait for him to finish his call. Then he reverse for me to enter my own house. <laughs> for context, the road was free. We just decided, I think the network was really strong. <laughs> I think the network. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my God. Say, reverser, reverser. But, you know, you can. Thank you, Lord. 
glory to God. If I use Sal, not I can't remember, but <laughs> but we got along eventually. Praise the Lord. How do I know I'm growing in love? Let's talk about that. How do I know I'm growing in love? Look at John chapter 14, verse 21. As simple as what I'm about to say, it's, it's so important. So important. So important. I, I want to point out something very simple but very profound. This is God's love language. You know, it's nice when you think, you know, some of us, we have a blues perspective to Christian devotion. You know, we sing to God like we're singing to our girlfriend. You know, and there are, there are even some appellations that it can be argued whether we should say it to God or not. You are the rose of Sharon. What do you mean by that? I'm not saying, listen, when people ask questions, don't be angry. Just explain it. What do you mean? You are sweeter than, you know, <laughs> what do you mean by that? Anyways, praise the Lord. When I read this, at least you'll get a glimpse of what I'm saying. All right? Are you in John 14, 21? Read together loud as you can. One, two, go. All right, all right. Hold on. Let's, let's stop there. He that has my commandments and keeps them. Is the one that loves me. No, like he, he says it because he knows that human beings are very deceptive. It's not only girls that, try, that guys try to deceive and say I love you when they don't. They try to deceive God too. And God sees through all of that. He says they draw nigh to me with their lips but they are what? They are, so he, he's telling you it is those who keep my commands. Lord, you are beautiful song, by the way. More precious than silver. But you well, you should show in your offering. But anyway, Lord, you are. Now the song is sweet. It's a good song. But listen, God is not, he's not really moved by that. Take away that mindset of God where, you know, you just woo him with music, then he will forget himself. Those are human inventions. You know what he told Peter? He said, Simon, do you love me? He said, ah, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. In other words, prove it. If you love me, this is what you would do. Love is discernible. You listen, you, you don't have to. You may sing a song about it, <laughs> but you don't have to. I mean, if you love me, you, you would do this. You would do that. You would keep my commands. It's that simple. You know why I'm saying this? Because many Christians have this subtle hypocrisy. Where they present a devotional life, 
with a lot of contradictions and they insist they love God. God, I love you. You know, but this aspect, this aspect, this, you, you know what it's like to try to hide from God like Adam, you know, and you are not literally in any garden, but in your devotion, there are aspects of your life you don't want God to bring up. Have you been there before? <laughs> like, don't bring this up. <laughs> don't, can we just dwell on your loving kindness and your tender mercies? How they are new every morning. Don't talk about that, Lord. I want to tell you, it's cute, but it's false. It's false. It's false. And so, in some situations, you are better off on your feet than on your knees. If you come to the altar to offer sacrifice and remember that someone has ought against you, <laughs> the prayer is a waste. Go and do what you're supposed to do. Are you listening to me? That's God's love language. Obedience. Obedience. If you love me, keep my commands. Keep my commands. Let me look for your trouble a little. You know... And I can say this because I have a ministry to this generation. So I'm saying this from a place of love. I'm saying this because, you know, the people who do this possibly don't know any better and just need to change. You know, this generation is very interesting. You can have an entire album on sexual promiscuity, on drugs, on alcohol, on every vice possible even the ones Satan has not thought of. And then when you are presented an award, you say, I, I just want to thank God. You want, don't allow thunder fire you. Appreciate Satan and go. <laughs> Appreciate your daddy and go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. One of the examples I keep giving because I cannot get over when I, I remember where I was when I heard it the first time I was walking and there was music playing on the streets. I want your body sleeping in my bed. I'm serving a living God. I mean, right after. <laughs> you know, you know this song. That's why you're laughing. I say, wow. <laughs> if it was in the days of Moses now. <laughs> anyway, praise the Lord. And, and listen, listen, let me tell you this. R- remember, we're teaching the truth in love. So I'm not even, as you are using the word to correct people like that, you're pointing it at yourself. Seeing aspects of your own life you know, that you need to correct. It's, you know, we have this propensity to think the word you know, is choking someone else. Tell them! Have you heard people like that tell them? It's you we are telling, sir. It's you. <laughs> All right. But I mean, this is so important. So now, we just have this pretentious attitude where we feel it's okay 
to protect aspects of our life from the gruesome impact of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we just keep the cute aspects of the of the profession of faith. Like God is number one. Your Bible says God is number one. <laughs> and your profile picture is. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know what I'm saying, yeah? So this is important. So, how do you know that you're growing in love? Listen, I'm not teaching sinless perfection. I'm teaching growing sanctification. That in your life, you know you're growing in love because there is a growing interest in obeying the commands of God. Not out of duty, but out of delight. Growing interest to obey the commands of God. Lord, I don't want to accommodate any inconsistencies in my life. Let me tell you this. It doesn't matter how high you are in office, in the service of God. You must continue to watch yourself. Inconsistencies can come in. But if you have a devotional life that makes you lie down on the floor once in a while and say, God, search me, prove me. If there is any aspect of my life you know, that is inconsistent. Let there be a divine x-ray. Lord, cut it away. Take it away. You know, when you have that personal assessment, you can keep your sincerity. Praise the name of Jesus. The definition of hardness of heart is this. That there are aspects of your life that the word of God has clearly rebuked. But you accommodate the inconsistency. You keep getting worse. You keep getting worse. That's what hardness of heart is. And it gets worse the time. Now you no longer feel bad about it. You can accommodate inconsistencies like a boss. You chest it. <laughs> Hallelujah. And then you know what some people even do? They build a theology around it. A theology that accommodates it. Don't be that person. The Bible says, the righteous man will fall seven times and what? Rise again. See, God is giving you this word so that you can rise again. So immediately you leave this place, there are action points. As I'm speaking, the Lord is speaking to you. There are two sermons you are hearing at the same time. Praise the Lord. Come on, I said, praise the Lord. How do I know that I'm growing in love? Number two, when I walk in love, even when I don't feel like it, this is a tough one. I know that I'm growing in love when I walk in love, even when I don't feel like it. Christ is our standard of love, isn't he? He says we should be imitators of God as their children and to walk in love. That The Bible says that 
imitators of God. So we're imitators of his love. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. And talked about his sacrifice with John 3.16 calls love that he gave his only begotten son. So we're imitators of his love. We, we must learn to love like God. Because now, listen, because we have a secular idea of love, when we are growing in discipleship, there has to be a definition of terms. When you think of love sometimes, your mind is programmed to think of blues and think of butterflies. And butterflies will just make you do things. Oh, my dear, there is no butterfly way to go to the cross. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I assure you, you won't feel like it. Listen, the Son of God, the Son of God, even the Son of God said, is there no any other way? <laughs> if there's any other way. <laughs> you, 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 it takes more than motivation. So when the Bible says, God so loved the world, I wish I had enough time to think of, to teach on this. Listen, the context of God's love is specific. The context of God's love is salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So this is how we know the love of God. The death of Jesus. That's how we know God loves us. Listen, many of us, our perspective to love is emotional. He loves me. How do you know he loves you? I feel it. I feel it. You won't always feel it that well. Some moments you feel it and some other times, does he really love me? But when you understand that he has proven his love once and for all by giving his son to die, your perspective and your conviction of God's love will no longer be fluctuating. It's constant. As surely as Christ died, God loves me. And he can't even change his mind if he tried. He has proven his love once and for all. And he that spared not his son, but freely gave him up for us. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? He has given us his best. And so the less cannot be a problem for him. Do you understand what I'm saying? So now, 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 now. When you understand that that's the eternal de demonstration of God's love. And that that's your example. It changes your perspective to love. You now realize that you will have many getting many experiences where someone has been very foolish, does not deserve forgiveness, and you must forgive. <laughs> and you look for a way out. God, is there any other way? <laughs> if it is possible, let this cup. But now you say, nevertheless. Are you listening to me now? That's love. That's love. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. You found a way of escape. You, have look, you are looking for it now. You, you have um, hematidrosis. Your, your sweat has become like blood. You know, you are, I mean, you feel the pressure like, God, am I really going to do this? I have a business deal that will bring me billions. I just need to put imaginary dots in some places. And cross some T's where there shouldn't be T's at all. God, isn't there a way to do this and still somehow will be in your will? 
let this cup, this burden of Christianity pass over me just for one day and I'm back and, you know, back like I never left. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Have you ever had feelings for someone you shouldn't have feelings for? <laughs> the, the chemistry is strong. God, if it is possible, <laughs> let this cup. Can't you just look at the other aspects of my devotion? Ignore this one. God, if it's possible, let this cup pass over me. You're looking for shortcuts. You're looking for a way to, to, to use theological gymnastics to explain, you know, how the word of God can accommodate. I was very happy when at Young and Free, you know, someone asked the question, what does the Bible say about polygamy? <laughs> I'm glad I got the opportunity to answer that, right? Because now, some of these concepts, you even have so-called theologians, emergency Instagram theologians, giving hot takes on what they know nothing about. Lord, if it's possible, listen, many nights, Many days, many months, love will be hard. <laughs> and that's why you must know, even though love has a feeling, love is not a feeling. <laughs> you, you, that's, you, you start growing in love when you understand that it's a responsibility. That at Gethsemane, you don't feel like going to the cross. It's not a feeling. It's a sense of responsibility and loyalty to the will of God and love for people, commitment to people. That with nails in your hands, excruciating pain. I've taught you this before. Crucifixion was so painful, they have to carve out an, a new English word to describe that level of pain. That's where the word excruciating came from, from crucifixion. It was a pain threshold the world never knew before. An invention of wickedness. Romans said, the Roman soldier said, how can we come up with a punishment that people have never, like we want to make a statement for anybody that comes against the Roman Empire. That's how crucifixion came about. And then you're on the cross. With pain like very few people before you had ever experienced. And you look at the people who put you on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. <laughs> but they know not what they are doing. Eh? <laughs> eh? <laughs> Listen, can I tell you something? Don't ever think that that level of love is for Christ alone. He says, that's your standard. He said, we should be imitators. <laughs> we are all in trouble. <laughs> Don't you see? 
And you know the part? We don't even have a choice because we have received this love already. He died for us. So he now said we should reciprocate that love. So what can you say? <laughs> Imagine someone hung on the cross for you. Then you say, eh, he broke my heart. I won't forgive him. Ah. I hung on a cross for you. <laughs> he promised me 1,000. He didn't give me. Eh? I hung on the cross. No matter what anybody does to you, it will be petty to bring it up before Jesus. As an excuse not to forgive. It will be petty. That's the one chance. And you have already received this love. Oh, the me You are saying something about it now. Never ending. Like you say, you even say his love is reckless. That It was sweet when you were receiving his own. He <laughs> now said you should love others the same way. One chance. You didn't read the terms and conditions. <laughs> you are in it already. You know, you're growing in love when you love, when you don't feel like it. And you know, a key factor in all of this, as I begin to round off, is the fear of God. Let me tell you this. A lot of Christocentric people, I say that a lot these days. It's not intentional, I promise you, but I think this has to be said. You know, a lot of Bible people don't really know about the fear of God because you know, we have a very big problem in our hermeneutics. We don't know how to define terms contextually. And I know perfect love has cast out fear. So listen, we have not come to a mouth that might be touched and burns with fire and brimstone. You know, so terrible was the sight that they said, ah, you know what, Moses, go up the mountain. Let God tell you what he wants to tell us, you know. What are coming with you? You know, and all of that. We have come to Mount Zion. City of the living God. And somehow we have a perspective of grace that has taken away sacredness. And that's why I love that text that says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready to give a defense. So listen, your growth in knowledge must come with growth in sanctification. You know what? After Paul had done a classic job explaining the grace of God to the Rome, the church at Rome from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 11. He now comes to chapter 12 and he says, Therefore, in view of the message of God, let us do what? Hmm? Eh? <laughs> let us do what? Open it. <laughs> Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2. Now, see, the reason why this is important is so that we know how to respond to grace. Does grace make us cast off virtuous restraints? Live anyhow, since you know we have assurance of salvation, you know, and his love for us will never, he will never take away his love for us. He says, in view of the message of God, meaning if you've understood mercy, if you've understood grace, this is how you ought to live. What does he say? Everybody want to go. Present your bodies. Living sacrifice. Listen, that's what they call an oxymoron. Because sacrifice is dead. 
But now he says, living sacrifice, meaning live as though you were dead. Live as though you are a stranger on this earth because you are in the world but you are not of the world. Living sacrifice, present your body. Meaning your body has propensities and proclivities that, you know, that are rebellious to God's agenda. Capture your body, put it on the altar. That desire not to forgive, that desire not to love, pin it on the altar. Bind the hands, bind the legs, present your bodies. In view of the mercies of God, Meaning the mercies of God would drive us to more consecration. Drive us to more demonstrations of holiness. Drive us to more actions of love. We won't become lazy. We won't lose our wonder. Because before, when we do any small thing, and we wake up the next day, and everybody left the house without telling us, we think rapture has happened. We cry our eyes out and say, God, one more chance. But now you know so much. You know so much. And the knowledge that has liberated you has also made you lazy, made you lose your wonder. It says you should prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God for your life. Prove it in your life. That Greek word actually means to approve, meaning agree with God. When God says this is a sin, agree. Approve it in your life. When God says this is wrong, agree. Don't explain it scientifically. Don't explain. Don't try to play around the Greek word. Approve it in your life. Listen, I've seen it many times. Listen. Listen, listen, I don't know why, but this particular subject is important. One of the first things that amazed me in ministry, you know, as I became a pastor and began to relate with other ministers, and I'm saying this with trembling, a lot of ministers lie. It's sad, but it's true. If they tell you their church attendance, divided by two. Why? Now I can say this because I know the person must have changed. You know, there was a man, you know, who was talking to me. This was 2010. And he said, one of your friends wants to borrow money from me. 2.5 million. What do you think? Do you think I should give him? He wanted my advice. No, so I just said, matters like this, I'm very careful. Check his credit worthiness and if you think, you know, he deserves it and he can pay back, sign an agreement and do it. Now, the next day, this guy who was asking for a loan came to me bragging. Well, our ministry is about to do something, 2.5 million, debt free. <laughs> so I'm looking at him. And he said, all fingers are not... He now looked at me. He's my age mate. He said, tell me someone my age range that can dare such a thing. <laughs> True life story. So I'm, I'm looking at him. I couldn't talk. I, I, I was like, I'm saying this. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. I'm not... 
I assure you, you have a lot of mistakes. Do you understand what I'm saying? We must allow the word of God do what strip us bare so that we'll correct ourselves. So, what about us? What are the things that you are so used to? So used to. cut corners financially we are living in a time and age where cyber crime is, is up for debate whether it is right or wrong or whether people are justified for taking people's livelihood people's pension it's a debate online in this generation it's, it's, it's up for debates. There's trouble. Are you listening to me? Let me tell you how serious this is. You know what? The fear of God is so elementary in the church. It's a shame that we have to teach this. You know what the proverb said? It said the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom starts. That even people who have not found the revelation of God who have not found salvific faith, have that basic understanding of the fear of God. Listen, so even if you are not the children of Israel, you had no Moses who could go up a mountain to receive 10 commandments that say, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. There is still another law ingrained in the heart of every man. It's called the moral law. That unanimous agreement, that compass in every man that tells him it is wrong to rape. Whether you are a Christian or not, you just know this is wrong. Are you getting what I'm saying? And I know it's difficult for atheists. How do you know it's wrong? By what standard? If we are all the products of cosmic accidents, how then can you determine right or wrong? Why is it wrong to kill? Topic for another day. But they all have it. And listen, this is the real basis for Paul's argument in Romans 1.20. He says, the invisible things of God are clearly seen in the things that he has made so that men are without excuse so even if nobody brought the ten commandments down the writings of God saying thou shall not, thou shall not the person's face was not radiant you just, just the evidence of God is all around and it puts in you a sense of accountability to treat other people right knowing that there is a divine being to whom you must give account you may not know his name like the guys in Athens in Greece, you just call him the unknown God because he has not revealed himself to you, but you know there's a God out there. And because of that, you treat people right. Listen, this is what I'm talking about. The fear of God as the beginning of wisdom. This is where it all starts. Basic. This is basic. That you should, you should still be uncomfortable with lying, no matter how fashionable or common it is. Don't exaggerate how much you have. Don't, don't, don't pretend to be who you are not. These things need to be brought. Do you know why I said, you know, even if you, have not, you don't know the revelation of God, you have the moral law. Let me give you an example of Joseph. Joseph and Moses, who lived before? Alright, good. Meaning, at the time of Joseph, there were no Ten Commandments, but there was a moral law. 
And so when Potiphar's wife is holding on to you, you still have enough sense and honesty to say, ah, this man has been good to me. He does not deserve this. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is no, no, no tablet of stone anywhere. Just conscience. This is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God. Just nobody, no pastor preached it to you. This man has been good to me. How can I do this wicked thing? After all of this, he put me in charge of everything except you. You know, some people, they're never satisfied, no matter what you give them. They just want more. How can I do this wicked thing? Do you know, temptation will lose its power when we can think. In the heat of the moment. Because listen, what the devil tries to do is, it tempts us so much, we lose our sense of reasoning and so, uh, a fully grown man will see someone the age of his daughter on the road, almost unclad, flagging him down. And he doesn't break down in tears. He normally should. He should have seen his daughter in that girl. But in the heat of the moment and the emotions, he doesn't. So, what made Joseph special? is that even in that moment, he could stop and analyze and say, wait, Potiphar has been good to me. He doesn't deserve this. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what the fear of God is. Time is fast spent. I had so much more to share. But I will just say this to you. As Hagar was running, running from her master. The angel of the Lord appeared to her, and there was a revelation of God given to her. God introduced himself as Biela Heroi, the God who sees. And that should freak you out. This is where the fear of God stems from. can hide my motives from my friends but never from God he sees everything he knows everything it must freak me out freak me out with my doors closed, windows closed he's just there looking at you like really really <laughs> my prayer for you that is that from today no matter where you are you just see God like <laughs> always watching always present you enjoy it when it comes to protection <laughs> you say you are always there ever present help in the time of need <laughs> except when you want your privacy <laughs> But he's also always there. <laughs> Amen. Someone. <laughs> no one, no one at the proverb said, Where will I hide my bed? Even if I hide my bed in hell, your eyes are there. <laughs> what chance? Imagine if we had a rekindled consciousness of the fear of God. That there are some things I would have said to someone, but for God. 
Joseph said, but I fear God. Ah, are you getting this? You would have dealt with your brothers. Dealt with your brothers. You were living in a system where you could throw people in a lion's den and nobody would challenge you. Listen, the king has given you signet ring, meaning he was only ceremoniously in charge. Anything you say, nobody will challenge you. Then your brothers come to you, vulnerable, hungry, and you are prime minister. Ha! <laughs> Think calm now. You say, but I fear God. What if we had more fear of God? Things we allow when we are angry because we were angry. What if we had more fear of God? There was a man years ago, his wife was sick almost at the point of death, but he wanted to prove a point. I have money, she doesn't. And fly yourself now. I, I've seen things. Seen things. Hallelujah. The fear of the Lord evil, the Bible says. You must hate what is evil. You must despise it. Have no part in it. So you put a check on yourself, on your anger, on your temper. Lord, I've discovered when I'm angry. I've seen, listen, I've seen sweet people who can't control their temper. And many times it's not their fault. You know, they grew up in dysfunctional homes, you know, used to saying daddy beating mommy, whatever the reason. Now you're horrible and it's on you. It's on you eventually. You will bear the consequences. So if that anger brings you to court, after you have killed someone, the judge will say, the judge can descend that it's a family problem. But he won't arrest your father, he will arrest you. I must, I must begin to control. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, that, that. Now think about it. If Joseph went on with, just imagine what he would have been thinking in prison. That, ah! <laughs> if I had just done it now. You know, it seems as if I lost both ways because the woman is actually fine. Now I'm in prison. Thank you, Jesus. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord. I want to hear you all sing it once ago. Sing it with a heart of consecration. Lift your hands if you can. Say Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 
7,000. Blessings. Blessings.